we are able to gather in this way here in the hall and at home on Zoom. And wherever we are, we are your people and we want to love you and serve you well. I pray that the words that I speak and the thoughts of all of our hearts would do you honour and that we would learn to serve and love you more and more and become more like Jesus in the days ahead. And we pray in the strong and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm going to just get rid of this because if I do, there, there. It's really lovely to see people on Zoom. I wish we could see you all properly and um, love to you all. Look, I wonder what you're like at waiting. My family just would crack up that I've started by asking this question because I'm chronically terrible at it. At airports, if I go to see someone who's coming home, I crane my neck, I look out, even if the plane hasn't landed, I'm the one. I walk up and down, I get incredibly excited and, you know, it's, and, I, and the, the girls go, Mum, just settle. And Laura says, calm your farm, Mum, calm your farm. And that's the kind of, that's what I'm like at waiting. Of course, there've been longer and more serious times of waiting as well, not just being at airports. And two of the people in the passage we just heard from Luke could teach me, could probably teach us all quite a lot about waiting, couldn't they? Patient, expectant, deeply hopeful waiting. That's what we saw in that passage. It's one I really, really love. It's an about, about an event we only read about in the book of Luke. There are quite a few of those. Luke was the gospel writer most concerned to tell Stories of individual characters, and Simeon and Anna are two of those. First, he sets the scene. Jesus was born, as we know, into a Jewish family, and so there were important obligations that Mary and Joseph had to fulfill as parents of a male son, especially the firstborn. In Jewish law, the baby would be circumcised on the eighth day as a sign of the covenant which God gave to Abraham. At that time, he would be given his name except Jesus already had a name, didn't he? That the name that the angel Gabriel had instructed Mary to give him when he'd visited her that first momentous time that he'd come, he said to her, you will give birth to a son and you to give him the name Jesus. Jesus, which is the Greek form of Joshua or Yeshua and means the Lord saves. Right from the very beginning, Jesus' purpose and destiny salvation for humankind was there to be known in his name. After the circumcision and naming, there were more responsibilities on Mary and Joseph. In fact, there are two separate ceremonies referred to in Luke 2, 22. First, the ritual purification of a woman after birth. According to the law, it's in Leviticus 12, you can find it, a mother was unclean for the seven days up to the circumcision of her son, and then for the next 33 days, she still had to stay away from the temple and all holy things. If she'd given birth to a daughter, it was 80 days. After that time, she then had to offer a lamb or a dove or pigeon as a sacrifice, and the priest would use them to make atonement for her and she would be clean. If she was too poor to offer a lamb, she could offer a second bird, and that's what Mary had to do. It was about six miles from Bethlehem to Jerusalem and that's where they went to make their sacrifice to present Jesus at the temple. 
According to the law, the firstborn son of every woman shall be called holy or consecrated to the Lord. He could then be redeemed, you didn't have to leave him at the temple, uh, by, for, by the payment of five shekels of silver, which, you know, it's possible that happened, although I suspect it didn't, not because Luke doesn't write about it at all, and meaning that Jesus would be a bit like Samuel, presented, consecrated to the Lord as the firstborn son. That would make sense, wouldn't it? In his letter to the Galatians, Paul would later write that Jesus was born under the law to redeem those under the law. And so during the time of his birth, the requirements of that law had to be adhered to. So there they are at the temple, Mary and Joseph and their month-old baby boy, fulfilling their duties as good Jewish parents. As they walked across the temple courtyard, they're carrying in their hearts all that the last year has meant for them. I wonder what they were thinking about then. And we know that Mary was a deep thinker. Luke has just told us a couple of verses before this passage that Mary treasured up all the things that had happened and pondered them in her heart. Mary and Joseph, Mary, well, both of them, had gone through things that no one else would ever experience in human history, including multiple angelic visitations, just for one thing. And I wonder if as they walked across that courtyard, they were looking around and thinking, if you other people knew who this baby was, you'd be amazed. So maybe as they crossed the temple courtyard and were approached by two strangers, first one and then the other, they weren't too surprised because they got used to surprises. The first one was Simeon and there was something really special about Simeon. Now, in the photograph that went, along, the picture that went along with Lionel's song, it's interesting that Simeon is depicted as an old man, and we nearly always think of Simeon as an old man. But interestingly, there's nothing in the passage that tells us that Simeon was old. We do know that he was righteous, that is, he behaved well towards people, and he was devout, so he was scrupulous in his observance of the, his duties at the temple and before God, righteous and devout. We know that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And that's an unusual phrase. It's not one we hear often. In the message, um, Eugene Peterson translates it as a man who lived in the prayerful expectancy of help for Israel. It means he was waiting for the coming of the Messiah. Of course, you know that in the Old Testament, there are wonderful passages of prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. Many are in Isaiah, and here's one that really fits. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been complete, completed and that her sin has been paid for. That's the consolation of Israel that their, their sin will be paid for. The coming of the Messiah comes into a time of great difficulty and oppression and nothing is ever the same again. And of course, we know that the fulfilment of that prophecy did come in the person of Jesus, this very baby about to be presented at the temple. Another thing we know about Simeon is that the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it's a really unusual expression. It seems to mean the Holy Spirit was with him all the time, not just at a particular time of great need, as with others in the Bible before the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. So we know Simeon was always looking for the coming of the Messiah, 
And we don't exactly know how it happened, because we're not told, but we do know that God had given him a special message that he had taken in, that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Messiah, with his own eyes. So here he is in the temple courts and moved by the Spirit. He happens to be there just as this young couple with their new baby come to present him to the Lord. I imagine the temple courts quite crowded, but Simeon wasn't distracted. He knew just where he was headed, and I imagine it being a beeline straight to Mary and Joseph where he took the baby in his arms. And there must have been something about Simeon that made it quite Mary and Joseph quite comfortable to hand their little baby over to somebody that they didn't know. Taking the baby in his arms, Simeon praised God. His waiting was over, his faithfulness was rewarded, and God's promise to him had been kept. He was in no doubt. And there have been lots of songs and lots of times that people have put the words of Simeon into beautiful, creative work, just like the one that Lionel brought to us a moment ago. There's, it's known as the Song of Simeon. If you have ever been in an Anglican church for even song, you will know that the Nunc Dimittis is the Song of Simeon, and it's often read at funerals too. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. There's such knowing words. It's a, there's a calm certainty about them, a sort of deeply sighing, yes, I've seen it. This is, this is the promise coming true. I knew and trusted you, God, when you said you would send a saviour, and now you've given me eyes to see that your promise is coming true. Sorry. Simeon will now be ready to die peacefully whenever it happens. So it may have been soon, he might have been old, might have been a long time later. But he'll be happy to die whenever it happens because he knows that God's promise to him and to all humankind, both Jew and Gentile, has been fulfilled. He has seen God's salvation in this little baby. He saw through the infancy of Jesus to the person that Jesus was and would become and could see that through him salvation would come not just to Israel but to the Gentiles, the whole world, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And that's us, don't forget. We're included in that. And the glo for glory to Israel. No wonder Mary and Joseph marvelled at what they heard. Even though the circumstances of Jesus' conception and birth were so miraculous, I think they still would have been amazed that someone else here was confirming what the angels had told them and seeing the vast importance of this tiny baby. But Simeon had more words and he addressed them to Mary. For the first time, more of the story is told and with it, words about the cost of Jesus' time on earth for him and for his mother who loves him so much. And as you hear these, try and put yourself into the position of being those young parents. Simeon said, this child is destined to call, cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And that's true, isn't it? 
throughout and since his life on earth, including right up to here and now, Jesus will be and is spoken against and will and does bring the thoughts of many hearts to life, to light. And in doing so, individual decisions about him do have to be made, rising and falling, life and death will be the outcome. But Simeon doesn't stop there. The song stopped there, but Simeon doesn't stop there. He has more words for Mary, and this is what he says. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. They're hard words. Have you ever heard the expression, no mother is ever happier than her most miserable child? Does that sound familiar? You'd happily lie down and die to spare your child any unhappiness, wouldn't you? But the sword that will pierce Mary's heart is the death of Jesus. The Greek word here is romphea, which is a large sword capable of cutting her to pieces. The pain is extreme. For any woman, the death of her child is an agony that cannot be described. And I know that there are people here who will understand that more than the rest of us do. I'm just going to try and push this up because I can see it landing. It's going to be there. Let's try that. That might be better. Thanks. Again. At a 9-11 anniversary service in 2004, New York City um, Mayor Michael Bloomberg said this at the beginning of the ceremony. It's been said that a child who loses a parent is an orphan. A man who loses his wife is a widower. There is no word for a parent who loses a child because there are no words to describe that pain. A sword will pierce your own soul too. They're really hard words, aren't they? To speak to a young mother in a temple court who has just brought her firstborn baby to be presented. It's a big ask of a young girl from Palestine, however faithful she is to God. And by his words of prophecy, I guess that God was using Simeon here to begin to prepare Mary for what would lie ahead. She would indeed see her son grow to be the man Jesus, to be despised by many, to be betrayed, to be killed. She would herself witness the crucifixion. But you know, one of my favourite overlooked details after Jesus' death was that Mary is specifically named as one of the people constantly praying in the upper room in Acts chapter 1 when the disciples came to tell the news of Jesus' ascension into heaven. She's specifically named there. She was there at the beginning, but she was there at the end. But can you imagine the expression on her face at that day, on that day in the temple courtyard, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. But see what God does next. Right now, right now, someone else enters the story. Whenever in the Bible you see the words at that very moment, something really important happens. And I looked, last week I spent some time looking at all of the, all the verses through the Bible when at that very moment. And this is one of them. At that very moment, up comes a very old lady, Anna, a prophet, 
prophetess, often she's described. This encounter is so tantalising. We have just had so much detail about Simeon. We've had direct speech about Simeon. We have three short verses about Anna, but there is so much in what's in those verses that tells us so much. It's, it's fascinating. So what do we know? That she's called a prophet or prophetess is a very special distinction. There are less than 10 of them in the whole Bible. It means that the Holy Spirit is at work through her so that she speaks the words that God wants spoken. That's what that's talking about. She's a genuine Israelite. She's from the tribe of Asher. Did you notice that? Do you know where Asher is? Where Asher comes from? Asher is one of the northern tribes that in around 720 was conquered by Assyria. And then they disappeared into being assimilated into the people there. They're called the 10 lost tribes of Israel. How is she, a woman who is from the tribe of Asher, here in the temple? It's just a fascinating thing. In Jeremiah 23, 7 to 9, there's some really interesting words. It says this, so then the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites out, up of e out, up, out of Egypt. We know, we hear that lots of times, don't we? But they instead will say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them. And then they will live in their own land. God didn't forget those tribes. They weren't really lost. And here is a reminder that somebody from those tribes, maybe here Anna is a symbol and a sign of God's faithful provision for all his people and for all people. What else do we know about Anna? We know she's old. We really know she's old. She's either pretty old or she's really old because there are two translations that are equally able to be made. One is that she was married for seven years and is 84. So she got married, was married, her husband died, and now she's 84. But there's an equivalently likely translation that says she, um, she got married, she was married for seven years, and she's been a widow for 84 years. So she's either 84 or she's over 100. Either way, this is an old lady. And what else do we know about her? We know that Anna understands grief. We know that she was widowed as a young woman. It's probable that Anna is also childless and as a childless widow, she would have been one of the most marginalised of people in her time and place. Certainly not normally recorded by name in history to this very day. We know that she's been at the temple constantly since the time of her widow widowhood. She never left the temple, it said. It occurs to me that this means she's been at the temple through the decades just before this. And what happened in those decades? What happened was Herod decided that he wanted to knock down the temple and build it to an extent that was glorious enough for what he thought he deserved. And so, there was a huge, huge uproar and outcry when he decided he would do that. So much so 
that he even gathered the materials for building the temple again before he knocked down the old temple, built it. And then the building of the temple courts lasted for the next 80 years. That is, when Jesus was born and even when Jesus was in his ministry, they still hadn't finished all of the temple courtyards. If you want to know more about this, there was a, a recent um, episode of John Dixon's Undeceptions podcast where um, George Abbott's from Moore College is writing a book about exactly this. And it was just fascinating. But as I listened to it, I thought, Anna was there through that time. This is a woman who really gets upheaval and grief and pain. And right at that very moment, God sends her to Mary. I just think that's the most fascinating thing. We know that what she's done through her widowhood is she has worshipped day and night. She has prayed in prayer and adoration to the God of the covenant promises. She's fasted as an, as an expression of the seriousness of her commitment to those prayers. What does she pray for? She prays for God to send his Messiah, his Christ. She prays for God to send the baby boy who Simeon is right now holding. And right then, right at the moment that Simeon has looked at that young mother and said those very same words, I've said them a thousand times and here it comes again, a sword will pierce your own soul too. Here is Anna, an older woman who knows about grief and knows about the goodness of God. One of the other details I actually now love, it used to frustrate me up the wall till it, it dawned on me, there is no direct speech from Anna. We actually don't know exactly the words she said. But the more I think about it, the more I think probably, what do you think Anna would have done at that moment? If she'd come up, heard those words, seen that young girl, what do you think she'd have done? Can you imagine some words she might have said to Mary? Can you imagine perhaps taking her hand and squeezing it? Can you imagine the look between them? I think if she did say some words then, they were for Mary and not for us. And so I think it's really okay that we don't have them. But what we do know is that she spoke with thankfulness to God and to those around who were also looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Interesting that there were others also around she's speaking to. She spoke about this child, Jesus, and what he would mean to all who look for a Messiah. So she obviously could see who Jesus really was as well. And whether she said anything else, it's not recorded. I think it's one of the many examples in the Bible of God using people to bring comfort to one another. It's even happened to Mary before. When the angel Gabriel came to her and told her she'd give birth to a baby in a miraculous way, he said these words, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And the very next words he said were, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. And he didn't tell her to, but the next thing Mary did was go to Elizabeth. So God told, told Mary, there is a woman older than you who gets it and she's there and I'm sending her to you now, or you to her in this case. I love it. I just think it's a beautiful parallel with Anna. 
And don't we often know this in our own lives? Sometimes in the darkest and hardest of times, God will send us a friend, sometimes an unexpected friend, perhaps someone we've never met before, someone to be there just when we need them, to give us the love that comes from God himself. And sometimes he asks us to be that person for someone else. I read all of this to Ian yesterday because, you know, that's what I do. And he reminded me of a time when that happened to me and said, you know, it's really worth very briefly telling this story. God did exactly that to me a few years ago. I, it's, I won't go into all the details just because it would take much longer than you all need to, you know, and more than you all need to hear. But a few years ago, I was the speaker at a conference for a week and there were a lot of people who'd come from interstate all around Australia to come to this particular conference. And during that week, a complicated and really distressing thing happened, and I received some news overnight of something that happened in my extended family um, that really, really shook me. It still shakes me when I think about it. And I tossed and turned all that night. And the next morning, I went down to breakfast and there was only one person sitting at breakfast yet. And it occurred to me, I still can hardly believe this, even as I tell it to you, that person is still, to, I cannot think of another person who when we were young knew me and the relative that that piece of news was about equally well. We all knew each other when we were 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. And he, because he is a beautiful, wise and godly man, he's got his, you know, he's a and pastorally hearted man, said to me, you know, you, you okay? And of course, I, I so, I, in all my life, I don't know when I've ever been less okay. And he just said, just come and tell me. And he listened with such wisdom and he brought me words that only he could bring. Like nobody, and I see that guy once every maybe 10 years and there he was that morning, and there he was, the only person still sitting at breakfast. And I just know that God brought him at that very moment for me right then. And I think that's an example of what God did with Anna and what God did with Elizabeth and what gave, God gave to Mary and what sometimes God asks us to be for people we know. And what we have to do is pay attention, don't we? Anna had waited many years for God to use her on this day and had remained hopeful and faithful and ready to be thankful. And she did it. And so Joseph and Mary fulfilled all the requirements on them after Jesus' birth and took him home to Nazareth, where we're told he grew and became strong and was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. There are so many things for us to learn from this. I think we're to understand, first of all, that God's promises come true. That even if we have to wait faithfully for a long time, God keeps his promises. Simeon had waited for a long time, believing that even that perhaps many, me, many years had passed, God would indeed show him the Messiah before he died, and he did. Anna had waited with a faithful heart, ready to be thankful when her prayers were answered, and they were. 
And we are waiting for another one of God's promises to be fulfilled. We live in the time between the coming of Jesus and his coming again. Like Simeon, we have a promise to hold on to, although we don't know whether it will happen before we die. Hebrews 9.28 is one of the places that will remind us all of that promise. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sins, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. But whether Jesus' return is today or tomorrow or in another thousand years, we know that God keeps his promises and we can rely on that. And we also know, and Peter reminds us in 2 Peter 3, 9, that with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and, the Lord is not, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with us, with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And in the meantime, we are to wait with hopeful expectancy, with faithful hearts, with patient, prayerful, thankful hearts over the long haul if necessary, and with our eyes peeled for times when God wants us to be there for someone else. Like Simeon and Anna, we're to be faithful while we wait, even when terrible things happen, even when everyone around us blames God for the terrible things happening. He wants us to know in our hearts that he will answer our prayers and he is faithful to keep his promises. And like Simeon and Anna, we can expect our waiting to be rewarded and our hearts to be filled with thankfulness for the mercy and the grace of the Lord. Amen.